Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Tom. With me again is Will and Bruce. Say hi, guys. Hello. Hey, Tom. Hey. All right. So um, uh, some of you may have been following along on social media. We're starting our new uh, Ridley Scott series. So we're going to do uh, three, maybe four, depending on uh, what mood we are on, on Ridley Scott. And today we're going to be covering... Some say his best, some say not his best, some say one of the most complicated films to talk about. That would be from 1982, Blade Runner. And Blade Runner itself is such a unique project in, in, for just for film history in general. So uh, we're going to be talking directly about the final cut. Uh, now, some of you who are listening are probably aware there are multiple editions of this film. In 1982, the... Uh, Original theatrical cut was not uh, finished by Ridley Scott. He basically got kicked out of the final edit, and they added a happy ending and a narration he did not want. Now, apparently, at one point, a narration was supposed to be in the movie. He decided it wasn't necessary, but they put a narration in anyway. Then in the late 80s, the a work print cut without the happy ending was found by accident by a, just a guy looking to rent a, another old uh, film found the original uh, work print, screened it kind of as a rogue screening in an L.A. theater, and it was a huge hit. So Warner Brothers decided to let him do what they call a director's cut. But he was busy shooting another movie, so he just sent them basically uh, letters because it's pre-internet. He, wasn't, he made some phone calls, but he didn't see what they were doing. So they put out what they called the director's cut in 1991. The director's cut was close to what he wanted, but even that he wasn't happy with because he really didn't work on that. So and then in 2005, during the DVD boom, uh, Warner Brothers started putting out these special editions. For instance, that's how we got the Richard Donner cut of uh, Superman 2. So what we uh, what wound up happening is he got more money to go in and, and uh, do an actual couple of minor reshoots and some major uh, digitally editing and some sound editing and got what he called the final cut, which is what he wanted. So what we're going to do is we're going to be talking directly more about the final cut than the theatrical cut or the director's cut. But um, I guess before we can kind of get in, do we we all kind of agree this is great or overhyped? I'm very much in the this is overhyped category. I'll get into it later. But remember... I literally had not seen Blade Runner until today. Okay, so that's very interesting. And to to my take that I kind of shared in our pregame notes, um, I think this film is it's one of those things that it's um, it's a little like Pulp Fiction, uh, which comes after it, obviously. But uh, when when someone acquainted with film post Pulp Fiction, but not Pulp Fiction views Pulp Fiction, it doesn't seem like that big a deal. Likewise, I think someone acquainted with film post-Blade Runner, but didn't see Blade Runner in its context, and admittedly, I was very young, I was like 11, so I I saw it a little post in its context, but I think I probably caught um, the director's cut uh, was the first one I saw, which is why it's weird for me to go to the theatrical cut. But um, what I'll say about this uh, as as sort of support for you, but also a little bit of argument, Will, is that this film just did so much stuff that was not being done in anywhere like this way um, 
in American cinema, particularly like 70s American cinema didn't do this stuff. Um, and it's so different from the other science fiction that was now, you know, the Star Wars era. So it's, uh, and, and, you know, and of course, Harrison Ford is a weird touchstone to both. And for a long time, he was very ambivalent about this film. Uh, I think he's kind of got better with it, but I don't think he liked it much even now. I don't know that he's fond of it, but I think he sees it as more of a piece of his legacy. So uh, the long story short is, yes, it is a big deal of a movie, but it's maybe not that great of an experience now. Does that make any sense? No, exactly. I know what you're talking about. Um, the first time I saw it, I think it was 90 or 91. I saw a, uh, I rented the, I guess the, uh, just a home video at a video store. And I saw it at Harrison Ford in it. And I, I mean, I wasn't into like, you know, detective stuff. So I didn't, I didn't understand like the whole Sam Spade stuff that was, it was kind of supposed to be sort of a slight takeoff of, you know, film noir wasn't a thing to me, but I did think like the visuals were pretty cool. I thought it was kind of neat about everything involving the replicants, but you know, at the same time as like I just I'd seen Total Recall recently at the same time, and Total Recall kind of has similar. I mean, they're both Philip K. Dick, which is something we hadn't really addressed. Is this is the first real adaptation of a Philip K. Dick novel, and you know, both of them have the same kind of dark corporatism, and it is kind of a, the, the sort of the proto cyberpunk movie as well. That uh, you know, there's certain themes that you know. The, for the first time you see it, it's really neat but admittedly then as you watch it and i've seen this movie more than 10 times i own this cop i own the copy of the final cut you catch different themes but it's also a case that you have to kind of study this film it is something that's not a film that's not just about one take or another take it's multiple takes and in and, and part i think because the director kept having to tinker it and in many ways tinker it in the right way versus say the george lucas way I think it's more more interesting. You know, for a long time before we, it was debated for a couple of decades if Deckard is a replicant or not. You know, we won't get into that further. But the film, we, you know, the, the, because of some inconsistencies that constantly made all these questions about what's what is actually going on in this film, and what is not going on in this film, and I think that's part of the reason why this film got so cult fanaticism is because. What actually is the message of this film? Uh, the message of this film is film noir is cool. By the way, science fiction. That That's the whole <laughs> message. There's not anything deeper, guys. This film has one amazing thing going for it, and I will absolutely get on a soapbox and praise this film for one thing and one thing only, and that's its style. This isn't the prototypical cyberpunk movie. This is the This is 80s cyberpunk. Everything in this is 80s cyberpunk to the, turned to 11. There is nothing here that isn't. Uh, the oppressive corporate culture. Police are everywhere, but also nowhere at the same time. Weird fixation on Asian elements of existence. Um, a weird science fiction gun, but it's still just a gun. Um, odd colors, neon, fishnets, makeup sparkly things and you know the the cost saving measure the whole reason this isn't a cyberpunk film is because it was a cost saving measure they couldn't do cybernetics there is one scene in this that's very cyberpunk and that's when they go into the um the frozen eye shop um mm -hmm. that is an incredible set i thought that set was great Every and that they actually had it they, they that was in a refrigerated you know building so 
that was it was actually that cold. They had it down to I think they said thirty degrees. Yeah, that that that's an incredible scene. Like I love that scene. But if he had had the technology and the money, this would have been a full cyberpunk movie with everybody would have been cybered up and the quote unquote replicants would have been the most cyber of all. They would have been uh, considered more than human and it would have been that. That it's not is simply the fact that he didn't have the technology in the time. Um, so the style, this movie is so much style. Other film noir, mo- other noir movies look at this film and go, damn, dude, maybe step it back a notch. <laughs> well, yeah, the future will have inadequate lighting. Let's just say that straight up. The future will have inadequate lighting. I mean, they have a little bit of like, no, the machines work better in dim light to like sort of excuse it for one or two scenes. But no, no, nothing has lighting. Like literally nothing. My ball um, I'm I'm with you. Um, The only other thing that's actually stand out in this is a single monologue that occurs at the end of the film. And I'll get to that later. Those are the things that I really liked about this film. Other than that, this is straight up film noir. Is Deckard a replicant or not? Who the fuck gives a shit because it doesn't play into the film? Why is every human in this a complete shithead? I don't know. The future sucks. Yeah, it's China, China, that's Chinatown, yeah, baby. China. I mean, again, this is film noir to the hilt. Nobody's a good person. Everything's in shade of gray. The people who are good get ground into powder. It's film noir. This is less revolutionary than almost anything I've seen, except, again, as I state, in the category of style. Every character here is a caricature. Deckard is not a character. Deckard is a dude following a script. Is the performance good? It's not bad. I can't tell you that it's good. It's on point, that's for sure. It, is Pris a good actress? I don't know. She has four lines. She's fine. She plays her role. Well, I mean, Daryl Hannah herself is you know, sure not well known for being the greatest actress. Well, she doesn't do bad here because she's supposed to be a creepy robot wet lady, and guess what? It comes off fine. Rutger Hauer is the best actor in this film. Hands down. Oh, and that's... That's a hands down. Or, or James almost. Gonna... Those two guys. Those two guys are the only two people who are trying in this movie, as far as I can tell. Now, uh, we should point out, Redford Howard got the part not even by auditioning. Uh, Ridley Scott had seen him in some Danish films from the seventies. Said that's who should be Roy Batty. He offered him the part without having any clue. It, you know, he, he didn't even know how well he spoke English. He just seen the you know in the in Dutch. But what's neat is he kept tweaking the script himself he's like no batty wouldn't do this no i don't think this is necessary he th- he toned he cut lots of things out that he thought i didn't I, a he didn't need to say two he didn't need to do like they wanted the final bat the final ba- battle to be basically them fighting in the gym and him showing off how powerful he is and how special he is he's like no why don't we just have a, re- a chase and I, I give him credit, like really Scott listened to him on some of the stuff because it sounds like from my understanding, they kept making edits and changes while they were shooting, which is why Harrison Ford has said in the past he hated the sh- shoot because things just kept changing on the fly. And he really did not have a clue what was going on half the time. So my uh, final cut comes with a lot of the cutouts and I haven't reviewed them all because it's pretty substantial, like 15, yeah. 20 pieces, some of them 10 minutes long. But uh, yeah, you can see the original voiceover rather than the studio voiceover. They're similar, but I actually even think the original voiceover might have been better. Um, but, you know, that, that's a quibble. Yeah. Uh, obviously, he didn't want it and it doesn't need it. Um, but um, I, I will I will say that, like, that was in illuminating to watch that. Yeah, they definitely 
like this was not a film where its final version was on the page when they started filming. No, this film changed while they were making it. And that's always interesting and sometimes terrible, but it's always interesting. Um, I think in this case, it probably became a better film. I don't know about that. I mean, I watched the final cut. I, I almost shudder in terror as to what the original cut was. If this is the better version, like why? Okay, so I have so, a question. What purpose does the scene that they spliced in from Legend have to do with this movie? Okay. What what what, that's what where is the direct plot relevance of that scene? Okay, so you re- remember at the very end, he finds that little origami um, unicorn. Sure. Uh, that's supposed to be a clue a clue that Deckard, for some reason, constantly has dreams of unicorns in his head. Does Rick, does Deckard just dream of unicorns? But how does Gaff know that unless he has a file on him that says this man is a replicant? We, you know, he had certain things are all, you know, you, he has certain routines or the original uh, Deckard died and he had you know, a fixation on a unicorn. The idea is Gaff knows something that uh, Deckard has never told anybody, which adds to Deckard's like, am I a replicant or not? So let me tell you that that is not how it comes across in the film at all. As someone who went into this blind, other than I kind of, you know, I see the nerd swirl around this film because I'm immersed in, in nerd culture yeah. and you can't get away from it. I mean, Tannhauser Gate is dropped repeatedly in all kinds of media, including Transformers, which, you know, great. Um, yeah. But so what you see is Deckard falls asleep with his booze because this man drinks like good God. He must have a he must be a replicant because yeah. his liver couldn't have stood up to it. Uh, Chinatown, Chinatown, baby. Um, <laughs> or rather, I should say future Chinatown. That sucks. Um, <laughs> he falls asleep. There is a spliced in scene from Legend because it looks nothing like the rest of the film. Yeah, it was not in the original. It was not. It's yeah, completely spliced added. in. It looks terrible. It's very jarring. Like from a storytelling standpoint, it's like unicorn. Okay, cool. He wakes up. He doesn't comment on it. He doesn't comment on it to anyone. It never has any relevance again until until the scene where you, he picks up the little origami unicorn. And you know what I thought? I was like, huh? They're trying to make a callback that they didn't set up. They are attempting to so make a callback. I, I, got, I got you on that. But what I'll say about it is um, there's a consistent theme in the writing. And it, 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 when you're just looking at anything a replicant says or does, their dialogue is slightly disjointed always. Um, now, uh, if you use the progression of how well the replicant has dealt with being a replicant uh, and you go like Leon is lowest totem replicant for like just sucking at trying to be human yeah. uh, to Deckard being the best. Replicant, Pris is the worst. Honestly. Uh, Deck- Pris is worst replicant. Fair enough. Leon, Pris, one of the two of them. They're both bad. not very good. Uh, but like if, if you're if you're moving them toward like humanity, um Deckard would be one of the best models. Um, and if if the theory, and I think that is now the canon, the canon is he is a replicant. So the jarring cut doesn't have to be a jarring cut. It's 2005. He could have done anything he freaking wanted. He mm-hmm. used that footage in that weird cut way to, uh, I mean, I would assume, and I didn't read the commentary on this, but I bet if you go to the commentary at that moment, it's deliberate. Now, whether it landed for you or not, none of those say, subtleties landed, except for the progression of 
Roy is good at being a is mostly good at functioning as a human, except when the subject of death comes up and then he loses his shit. And everyone else is right. Zora's the best replicant, honestly. She behaves yeah. in a completely yeah. human fashion. Well, and let's except point out, they all suddenly have stops. All yeah, I will say, like, there are some just plot holes. Like, why? Like, I get everything else. Pris is in to figure out a way into Sebastian's house, like, because maybe it had good security, but it really didn't. But they didn't know that. Uh, you know, they're gonna Leon's gonna get into the Tyrell Corporation as a, do a dock worker. Sure, fine. Um, I get all the, all the little things, except why are we working with the Snake Hentai? There's no particular reason Snake Hentai oh. was valuable to them, and they could have made money. Oh no, actually, ways. I figured that I, out. That part sure. actually made sense to me. Because it goes back to the oh. guy with the eyeballs. So they know that right. – so this place clearly has a ton of synthetic crap in it, like synthetic animals and shit. Right. And so yeah, they're sneaking no in there to see to, to see now. if um, they have like a master synthesis there who can help them. That's why she's there. She's there to recon. That, okay, that was her. Okay. That yeah, was her purpose. In, it was that. That's not exposed. Well, neither yeah, is any of the other shit people layer on top of this movie but, that's not there. But okay. Well, but what I'll say about it is, there's no. I'm going to give you the parts that I see that are there. Um, like all the replicants are bad at, and their memories are very stilted, mm -hmm. and they like photographs and touchstones. Like you could do a psychological profile, and they do. Like in the canon yeah. universe, a psychological profiling is the, the way cop. you tell about this. And they have tells, they have specific things. Um, and so the fact that Deckard's memory is very fake is on purpose if you read it that way and i think that's the intended reading again i don't i if if it didn't land for a new set of eyes i am impressed with like your the fact that you are a new set of eyes and i'm willing to absolutely believe you and you know consider well let's valid. put it this way but it's interesting to me that like with the knowledge like i see the i see the, the, the connection so i went into this knowing about like the voint comp test um, you know all the things because they're re it's it's so referenced, so yeah. cross referenced in in right. sci science fiction and fantasy culture. This kind of stuff is cross referenced. Yeah. So I can't, it's not like I came into this completely clean, going what's a Blade Runner. Um, but so the Voight comp test is basically find replicants. Like they figure, you know, they say it's a series of questions designed to uh, show the, an artificial response in you know pupil dilation, blah blah blah, right? That indicates fake person. Mm -hmm. Sure, that that seems like a thing that does. Yeah, they made them too realistic. You can't tell through normal. Yeah, because putting a tag on the back life. of your dude is, you know, just do the hitman thing and put a barcode well, on the back of their head. Anyway, it's fine. Yeah, it's funny you brought that up because David, the same guy who wrote this, also wrote Twelve Monkeys, and of course, Twelve Monkeys has got the uh, Twelve Monkeys is a much better yeah. film than this one, um, in a lot of ways because it has coherent storytelling. This actually has incredibly linear, incredi incredibly straightforward storytelling, but people keep trying to read shit into it because it's got all this trippy um, symbolism and stuff. So how can I say this? If you over-subtle things, people aren't going to get them. The references you're making, I can see them in hindsight when you talk about them. Like, okay, I can see how that yeah. could be a clue but the fact that it punch it, it you basically need to punch your audience in the face at least a couple times with a couple of things with a couple of concepts and it doesn't this film does not tell you anything it, it's almost 
it's the thematic opposite of the the prequels in that it is all show and no tell. You have no idea what is going on. You can piece it together because that the the basic parts are pretty straightforward. But all the other quote unquote subtle stuff, it's too subtle. You can't see it. It's like being on stage and a guy is doing real subtle hand gestures. You can't see that shit from the cheap seats. I couldn't see this shit from the cheap seats. I so could not pick what out I the ask bits. You, I want you to get mad at it. I want you to spend two weeks without it, and I want you to hit it again. I think you'll like it better. That's my wager to you, Will, is that this film will sit with you, annoy you, and that when you revisit it, you will like it better. There's nothing to revisit, you you guys. I mean, I already know where it's going. So that's that's the interesting thing. It's it's like, um, I'll say this, it's like listening to... If you if you if you allow it, it's probably a bit of a stretch, but it's like listening to Bach. There's the main melody, sure, and that's right I like there. That comparison. It's it, the main the main theme is there, and that main theme is usually quite simple, but the variations are subtle and complex, and underneath it, and require a careful ear. And frankly, nobody, uh, anybody who likes this film hates this film any, anyway. You probably don't access this film the first viewing. You just don't. There's too yeah. much that's too subtle. Like there are points at which, like, admittedly, while I have a whole slew of fun notes, like I want to do a, at least five minutes of fun time where I do a little MST3K and just make fun of some of the visual direction in this film for being utterly ludicrous. Like this film doesn't pass what I call the firefly test. No place <laughs> they ever sit makes any sense as a place to be sitting. Like the conference rooms make no sense. The apartments make no sense. Nothing Nothing makes sense. They have garbage trucks passing every two minutes, but the place is covered in garbage. What is happening here? And why don't we have the glow stick umbrellas? Like that's totally you, you can get the glow now. stick umbrellas. Unlike those are for sale. Unlike the flying cars. Oh, uh, you've been to Dragon Con. Yeah. Well, you've seen those. They exist. We. But but like how many? What I'm saying here though, Will, is that every shot, literally every shot in this film, is got more thought in it. Not necessarily more beauty in it but more thought in it about what you're doing every person's face light matters and was done that way on purpose and the director's commentary literally he'll tell you all about it. i'm sure he will um, so let me interrupt you it's it's just it's one of those things that it works that way now that may not be your bag but i think you'll get more out of it on a second let me let me interrupt this a little bit with a story about indulgence there is a video game called red dead redemption 2 a sequel oh, yeah. to a very popular game, Red Dead Redemption, which was a sequel to another game, which I can't remember the name of, Red Dead something. Um, was it really? I didn't know. Yeah. That. No, well, no, it's, no Red Dead Redemption it. is a sequel to another Red Dead game. And then Red Dead Redemption 2 is the okay. sequel to that game. <laughs> There's a chain. I mean, it's not a direct sequel. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway. The point is, in that film, um, the anime, you, every action you take has an animation. A very elaborately purposeful, long, drawn-out animation. The animals all have have relatively realistic for a video game cycles of animations, cycles of behavior. Your horse can poop, like, and it's in glorious 4K. Your horse is crapping on all over the street in glorious 4K. Uh, the controls are very touchy um, because you're trying to move yourself in a realistic world. However, 
despite the fact that it is incredibly carefully thought out, incredibly detailed and lovingly animated and, and put together, it is not fun in those moments because the first time you see yourself skinning a bear, it's really cool and immersive. The 37th time you've seen yourself skinning a bear, it's boring and I don't care anymore. Just get the bear meat. I don't care. The first time you see your horse poop, you're like, huh, my horse pooped. That's so cool. The 37th time you've seen it, Jesus Christ, why is my horse pooping? God, did we need to animate that? This movie is that in spades. It is incredibly indulgent. It is lovingly crafted. It is beautifully crafted. But it is too much and yeah. it makes me sick. I've eaten too much cake. That cake was fine at first, and now the cake makes me sick and ill. And I don't – it wasn't bad. It certainly wasn't bad. I even enjoyed parts of this film. It's too long. It's too boring. I never want to see it again. It's a, it's a fine film that I don't like. Yeah. Can I bribe you? <laughs> no. I'm, I'm willing to put something on the table for it. I mean, it's got to be a number. Name a number, Will. <laughs> we'll talk later. <laughs> 100 bucks. We'll, we'll talk we'll, – yeah, well, that, that that that's that's a uh, subscribe yeah, to my uh, Patreon, and then you can bribe me to go do things. <laughs> but no, um, and fair enough. Sometimes there's just a hard bounce on. Well, the thing is, like other people uh, that has... love that game, and people love this movie. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that you're wrong to love it. I'm saying yeah. I well, don't see what the big deal is. Bruce, we now I'll, I'll come back around. Intentionally skip watching it in the past many times. Like we showed it at our sci-fi club. Oh, I, I missed it that day. It's not like it, I, it, I deliberately skipped out. Well, no, you. I remember that you left for that one, but it, we were running late that night. But you, you. It's like we have you know several of us had it on DVD. It was just a case where. He he dodged it several times, and I don't think he ever had a regret about seeing it. And that's just it. Blade Runner doesn't have to be the movie you have to see now, it, it, but it is one of those movies that you should you should try to watch it once. If and then well, if it hooks you or and you want to dig into it, enough. go ahead. That's one of the things that's complicated about this film. It's like you're either going to really want to explore this film or you're well, not. Well, but I'll, I'll I'll go and okay. So um, now that I've stopped, I'll, I'll stop trying to persuade Will. And that really, the only reason I want you to do this, Will, is because I kind of want to. I want to talk about the other parts of it with you that you haven't seen like to work with yet. And I like you. So I want to be, I want you to be interested in it just for uh, honestly, my, I'll be happy to discuss parts of the film I'll, with you. No problem. I'll go with, I'll go into <laughs> yeah, town with it. Um, no, but what I'll say is I also think that to my Bach analogy, it's just not all accessible on a, on a first run. Um, you really, no, it's I just going to roll over that. you. And that's because it's not, good and i'll say it that way like it's it's this is not a film to be enjoyed this is a film that was designed to be experienced it was designed to be evocative it's an art film i really will say it i don't think this is yeah. um at all an entertainment film i mean oh. it has a mildly entertaining element to it in some ways um i think that uh that you know rucker hauer is entertaining to watch um i best think character that, in the that film. is good best character in the film um oh i actually think that and, the oh, early sequence this. with leon is entertaining to watch too it should be pointed out rory batty is one of those characters people write theme uh, have written like thesis papers on that's and, and you know when they research him from the book and from the movie, it's a the the villain is more fascinating that's than Deckard. Deckard is a very but that's also boring protagonist. I, I mean, he's a drunk well, who used to be a cop, a very specialized cop, 
He's been called back in against his will, against his will to do a job that he doesn't want to do. He's not excited about it. And that's the entire, that's the beginning. And, and, and he problematically, Oh, so I'm not going to crap on this film anymore. I promise. Except for this one last bit, which no go right. Which I think, and, and I, again, I, I don't hate this film. I just, I don't see what the fuss is about. I guess midway through this film, um, Rachel, who is another character that I thought was very interesting, but was underexplored. Um, I'm, I'm glad, but she's interesting. I liked her. I thought she was cool. Um, but she shows up at his apartment after saving the day and they, there's discussion and she cries and it's, it's sort of awkward. And then she goes to leave. And Deckard says no, because he's suddenly got his horn dog on, and it becomes a very problematic nineteen eighties oh, romance. Absolutely. And I was like, this is not well, this this makes something. me uncomfortable watching it. And maybe that was the point, but I really hated it. Because exactly. I was like, man, nobody is nice in this movie. Like Rachel is the most innocent character, no, I, and she just gets uh, probably the best quote unquote ending. That and Gaff. Gaff's also fine. So <laughs> the reason I don't buy the unicorn thing. It's because Gaff makes random little shit all over this movie. <laughs> he makes a little match dude. He makes a swan and shit. I'm like, Unicorn could have just been a damn Yeah, the match dude with the I dick. mean, <laughs> you know. Well, no, there is – okay, so people have broke down. Everything he's making has certain thematics. Like, for instance, the, the chicken he makes is supposed to be making fun of how Deckard acts. The Or and the, the man is supposed to be, you know, like, you know, are you a man? You know, he's, there's, there's actually people who have written papers about – what he's his origami that's like writing a paper on a kit kat i mean you could do it but why anyway i know no no um, i mean that's the thing is like i really think that somewhere in a production note they chose all the origami pieces for these reasons now again it might not land but it was done with that level of like they were trying to be thematic they were trying to point out those pieces and like you know lampshade it with the origami it's it's deliberate. Uh, I'm sure it's um, deliberate, so... but it's deliberate. You know, I I can deliberately <laughs> throw my trash in the right corner of my room, and it'd be super symbolic of something. Or maybe that was the convenient corner. Maybe he makes a little chicken right, but... because he can make a little chicken. <laughs> no, but but sometimes like, a cigar. Is, is just a cigar. Film... Right. In this film, there's never just a cigar. So that's the point of this film. No, this is, uh, everything's intentional. But I agree with you. Now I was, yeah. Uh, now let me point out, and I'm glad you brought up about the thing this, that sequence of Rachel. Decker doesn't kill any men; he only kills the women. You know, he doesn't get. You know, Leon is beating the tar out of him. He has no sh- chance to kill him, and he does he really doesn't have a sh- chance to kill Roy either. Roy basically saves him, but the reality is. He only kills two replicant women. He doesn't get a he can't even get close to killing the men. Every time he's even in the vicinity, they you know, they have they've got him. And it's it's interesting the theme that, you know, he's very intensely violent toward the women and almost useless against the men. And something that's cut from the original script, but now they say there are two that died trying to sneak in early. Originally it was supposed to be one died. What, then there were supposed to be five replicants. It was implied for a long time that Rachel was the other replicant, that Tyrell had was sneaky, had basically brought her in, and that he didn't build her, that she was kind of a, a secret project that he snuck in. 
there was another girl that uh, an actress cast. She her character was supposed to be Mary. She was supposed to be kind of a another, I guess, pleasure bot. And she it was supposed to be also retired by um, Deckard. And they wound up cutting hers as late in the production. So he in the script he kills. He was originally supposed to kill three women replicants and not able to kill the two men. And yeah, that was for some reason or other that I don't know that I even fathom. But I guess what I'm saying here is that the deliberateness of it is meant to be multi-layered, Will. So that's the end of that part of it for me. I I, I don't know that you're going to ever care about it. I really do think you could find more in it if you wanted to, but I don't know that you should. I I honestly don't know that I can definitely see it being interesting to examine what they tried to tell you and failed to tell me. Because there's a whole box of crap that they tried to imply in this film that just completely bounced off me in every possible way. To me, this film is a science fiction noir film that's incredibly well shot and put together, but ultimately is just another forgettable 80s movie, except that it has incredible style. And And that monologue at the end is actually fantastic. Roy Beatty's final monologue is great, and and nothing you say will ever convince me that that's not a great scene. And you know what's sad is then they put this happy ending Oof. in the original theatrical cut where, where and well I'll describe it. To you. I'm not going to look on it. YouTube. Find it's YouTube, fine. but it's they literally use the the B roll from okay, The Shining. So they, they go up into like the Catskills. Yeah, or they something. took. They took <laughs> yeah, they took Scott stock footage from The Shining. You see him and her driving in this in perfect weather off to this magical forest. It's, it's basically had the Overlook Hotel. And he gives his narration. He goes, well, uh, Rachel doesn't have a um, termination date. Uh, She was designed to live forever. So we are going to have this happy ending living out in the woods. Uh, Gaff has clearly told me he's not after her. That's, you know, and that's all in a narration. You know, it's clearly they're like, oh, they have to end a happy note. It can't be, oh, they're going to go run off and hide. And hope the interesting that thing is, I think 2049 more or less takes that as canon because they they went off together, but um, they also go off together in this ending too. So, uh, but yeah, well, I am interested in yeah, seeing you, what they do it, in Blade Runner 2049. 2049 is directly off. Yeah. The I haven't seen it yet, so I'm going to watch that if we do it. I'll tell you, it's, it, but when you when it's it's it, you, don't worry about the theatrical. It has nothing to do. With it. it deals entirely okay. with the final cuts. They wisely went that route instead of the. The theatrical because it would just be too confusing anyway. But um, now uh, I think we should all agree it's neat. Uh, well, first of all, just the cityscape. This, this is such some incredible practical effects. Yes. These, you know, there's no CGI I mean, uh, in this film. This is all yeah, modern. And, and the 2005 uh, touch-ups were fairly light hand because I did do a couple of d- dives into the director's mm-hmm. cut just to see how much they touched it up. It's definitely better looking, but it's like still the same stuff. Yeah, he he literally had Joanna Cassidy put the the same costume on and have and you know they basically had to run through kind of like so a little blue screen, but to match up because the original stunt double looks so bad, like the shot was so badly shot, it looks like a guy is running through the glass instead of Zora. So they that was the one thing he reshot. He's like, no, I want to do this where it actually looks clean because he he always said that was he got basically almost got fired the next day, so he didn't have time to reshoot it and make it look better. And I, I give him credit. He was like, "No, the only thing I want to do is just fix these glitches that look bad because we I just think ran the sound out of time. remaster was to advantage. Also, uh, just the technology Agreed. maybe just made it better because I, I I popped on the uh, headphones for this and really enjoyed the sound remaster. 
the soundtrack was fine. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, I, I, I don't I, feel strongly understood. about it one way or the other. It was fine. Yeah, it's of it's starting to have a certain timing. Tangerine Dream is not one of those. You know, you don't you don't think of them as you know, like great, but you know, most people when you say Tangerine Dream, you think of Blade Runner. What about that other score they did that we talked more, about? They become I'm blanking so- on all of a sudden. Legend, yeah, okay, that explains what Legend. The they had a period where they were the hot, but for that, the like 80s I said, movie scores. yeah, yeah, and. and- you know that they weren't the original scores; they were brought in because they Ridley Scott I mean, lost that. I'm honestly that starting to if think heard... that Ridley Scott is kind of a hack who got lucky a few times. <laughs> because uh, I, I, I've seen I, Prometheus, I would say... and that movie can burn in hell. He has two movies coming out. <laughs> yes. This year. Now, what I will say is that Ridley Scott isn't making movies like this anymore, and maybe shouldn't be. But um, I can see where, like, so I so let let me. Let me rewind for a minute and pretend like I'm like, what the fuck this movie? Because I never saw it before. The first thing I'm going to go is like, are there continuity errors? Is this jumpity cuttity? Like, for example, hey, Rachel's gone missing. I just talked to her 15 minutes. I'm at the same bar. It was all one cut. I went backstage. I shot a woman. She's here to meet me. Like, apparently she was in her house last this, you know, tonight. How has she gone missing and already been reported to the cops? She just came out to meet. Like, there's bits of this film where the the time and the narrative are just whatever, whatevs. It's just shot to shot. It is not moment to moment. And there, there's no concern. There's literally no concern for how far did they travel in the car. No, we just want a nice, pretty shot in the car. There's no, there's no concern for space, time, or distance in this film. And it's deliberate. I mean, it's deliberately thrown down. And that's annoying as hell because, you know, sort of those are elements of narrative that you like. But this movie isn't a narrative. Like that's what you'll really learn. If you poke, if you poke at it is it's just a series of evocative scenes presented chronological issue, but not like at a strict pace. Uh, You know, they aren't out of order, but they are sort of paced for priority rather than for time taken. Yeah. And that's, that's its own thing. And other movies have done that, but I will say that like sci-fi, that was kind of a new and a jam for this. And I don't know that I love it. I actually don't know that I love it. I, if I was trying to enjoy the movie more rather than just soak it in, I would be really irritated with like that. Or just the... the... Now, Bruce, have no. you read the book? Now, are you referring to the novelization or just do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, which is a short story? I mean, that's the, have you read how much of Philip K? I, I, start, I read the first part. I, I got early into it, but I was like, you know what? Maybe I don't want to finish this because they're, you know, you, Dick's writing is so specific. It's for, yeah. so I, I don't know surreal that too. this that's is kind of what the, I would, you know, I think this is an inspired by teleplay adaption kind of dealy rather than uh, trying to be the book. Yeah, the book is. is... And he died right before it came out. So he, he was on set a lot, loving what he was seeing. But he, you know, yeah. he, he died like literally a couple months before it came out. So he never saw the, the theatrical yeah, the, the cut, book, um, else after that. I, I, I haven't read it, but I've looked at some synopses, not for this, but for other things. Um, and it's, it's fairly different yeah. in terms of yeah. the things that occur in this film are very different from the things that occur in the story. But the, the themes are there. I mean, it's still... It's less noir-y, but noir is a visual, you know. It... Right. That's the 
that's the thing. This is yeah, it's very more much about visual evocative scenes and not, it's not really, I mean, I would almost say like, I think there are readings of this that might go to where I agree with you, Will, like what well, you can read it any way you like it, but there are like Deckard's dead from the beginning readings. There's like, this is a, a, an afterlife yep. and nothing to do with anything else. Uh, and Deckard is attempting to be forget. You know, the point is to forgive Deckard for being a murderer. Um, that is the point of this whole deal. And uh, while it is framed within Batty's quest for father God, the, the answer is that the son is what forgives Deckard and there is a Christ there straight oh, up. Oh yeah, he puts a nail These in his are all I over mean, the place. Even I saw that yes. one. I'm not right. completely blind. So the, these are all thick on the ground and go even crazier. And, you know, to, my, to, to his credit, Ridley Scott didn't even indulge the as Deckard is real for a long damn time because uh, he wanted it. No, he, he, he wanted it to be this. But I think it's now officially that Deckard was a replicant. Obviously, that's where 2049 takes it. But um, but yeah, that, that like, for example, why is J.F. Sebastian's apartment a weirdo like thing? Majiggity, but because they wanted scenes like that, like they wanted decadent weirdo well, scenes. Um, they wanted the weird midget things. He's weird, too. That's I mean, the, the idea is he's. Right. He's this boy but, genius because he was apparently he's been working on. But let's just go from some basics. Why on earth are the, the replicants ex not allowed on planet? Um, seems like they'd be handy. Right. Why well, well the four years? years seems to be an emergent design flaw, like four years, what we ought to do with them. But that kind of contradicts with Terrell going, no, we can only make you last four years. It's as good as we've gotten. Uh, I, I don't know if he's just bullshitting Roy at that point or not, but like, uh, they're, 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 like the general premise of like why we have to have replicant assassins as cops, because he's just an assassin. There is no stop. There is no nothing. There is just I, I am here to murder things. Although yeah. he plays coy, and there's going but he to plays die coy. He, he he gets in there with her, and the tattoo is on her face. She's got the same snake. He doesn't just shoot her. He plays coy with this entire cat and mouse that makes no damn sense. Like nothing Deckard does. Well, excuse me. A lot of it makes perfect sense. I'm gonna you know do some basic detective work here and find some shit that leads me from point A to point B. But like his approach to the assassinations is just weird and fucked and like he's clearly not good well, at it's because he's drunk off um, his ass and, i mean and if he is a replicant well, being used i, I, I take the yeah, case with if he's a replicant cat's paw okay, he's a, it's badly done even then like none of this movie makes a lick of sense but it's not that's not why it is it's there to evoke and that's the point of any given minute on the on screen. Any given minute on screen is not conveying to you the events of that minute as a narrative building block for logical assessment or absorption. It's trying to just make you feel something, which is the Voight contest. Okay, I think I have a little take on all that. Let me. Uh, okay, so just like Holden when he's doing his Voight, to a Blade Runner has to actually administer some sort of Voight contest before they kill somebody, even. Just on the just for procedural reasons, so he's giving her. Uh, so that's what he was doing. Yeah, that makes some sense. I, I've heard, I think yeah, I've heard that before, but I still think it's pet. pretty. It's oh, also true. not explained uh, in the film. I mean, I kind of, but kind of figured out that that's what he was probably doing, but it's not. He was just trying to be sure. But yeah, like, I yeah. get it, but. Eh. But also, I think he was wanting to follow her, not retire, because he's hoping she'll lead him to all four. And he can kill but he doesn't call for 
backup, like, and yet they're right there. Um, I, I, it's all a weird mess. Um, of the you know the cat's paw of of Deckard as a replicant is still weird. Like they they just sort of let him sit around a lot. There's just well, all sorts of problems with this. Is any now? Here I go drinking whiskey again. Oh, Deckard, yeah, I take it you Deckard cat. may have been a real person that they made a replicant of. Either he left or got killed. So that's kind that of that makes Deckard, sense. Yeah, because. He, you know, he seems pretty well developed. So I think the idea is, either he just when he quit, he left planet, and the Tyrell Corporation was, you know, made a, made a replicant, or he got killed, and they simply right. that's just it. They made a replicant of the original Rick Deckard. But what I'll and, go with is, is still like, is the planet full or empty? Is the town? It's every scene is crammed full of people, but all the buildings are vacant. Where do those people sleep? Why is everything shit like even places where they couldn't they don't need to be shit like jeff sebastian got some money how come he has leaky shit everywhere in his building um and and, and you know it's it's just there for the the the, the, the decay the yeah, reason why jf the Ty- in tyrell's built with tyrell you right. think tyrell but, would want but, to but, keep but, his best guy with him but maybe he's eccentric and he's being indulged i can live with that but the very fact of the matter is, is that there's a trash truck in front of his building it's in the backdrop right behind pris and yet his buildings you know uh, uh, what do you call those into chamber is just full of garbage yep. Nobody picked I mean, up the garbage, despite the fact whore. that there's a truck I, right there. No, 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 not when you yeah, get outside, inside. Outside like, the building. The shit Pris pours all over yeah. herself is unpicked up garbage for, you know, it's yeah. just him. That's months worth. And it's just sitting there with a garbage truck across the street. So the there is all style, no substance. If you want to just straight up use something there, what yeah. Will would say, uh, to, to pull it to you. But again, they didn't want that. Like you have to let go of the the idea that a film is a narrative to enjoy this film or to appreciate because I don't know that you enjoy it. I don't know that you enjoy it because it's not a narrative. So um, the long story short for the viewer, listeners, viewers, listeners, people. Hi. Uh, By the way, thank you everyone for not killing me about Snowpiercer. And this is where we find out that Bruce is actually a replicant. Anyway. Yeah, I, I appreciate still being alive, but like. I don't know that I recommend this film to anyone who hasn't already sort of been there with it. Uh, I, I do definitely recommend if you have seen only the previous cuts, the final cut is the best. Go get it. Enjoy it. Uh, if, if this film is already something you enjoy, the, the final cut will just make it a better experience. I wholeheartedly endorse the final cut. But I don't know. But like if another of my friends like Will, who has not somehow seen this film, comes along, I would query them as to their interest in cinematography as a thing or just you know the idea of yeah it it, it is only like a film i would really recommend or if you're just straight up a big fan of cyberpunk and genre and stuff like but i wouldn't put this like i wouldn't put this in front of pretty much you know half the audience i don't think it's worth their time so there will i sort of agree with you a little more than maybe it seemed like i did now, I will bring this up kind of as uh, some of our final closings. We kind of get to the end of this. One major director has said this is his favorite movie. He's seen it over 100 times and has referenced it in every single one of his films. That'd be Christopher Nolan. I mean, if you saw. Oh, I can that totally movie, again, see that. Blade I can Rock. totally see that. Oh, yeah. 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 He is obsessed with this film. Inception, you know, 
Interstellar. All those films have Blade Runner cues to it. He has like said this is the movie, and he says it's a flawed masterpiece. But that's the point. He wants he, he wants his movie to be Blade Runner. He's been trying to essentially make a Blade Runner s film his entire career. It's amazing. So I, I think that's something we should kind of point out. The influences has had on a lot of directors. Dark City uh, was inspired by this film. <laughs> yes, it was. Um... I mean, you can just see it. I mean, like I said, honestly, Total Recall came out eight years later. Yeah, it's basically the same thing. And honestly, it's something else that should be brought up. Really, Scott keeps referencing this. Yeah, you may not like Prometheus, but it is definitely. Oh, we should do Prometheus because then I can vomit the black bile that's been stored in my liver since I saw that movie. Anyway, spoilers. I didn't like it. When yeah, it's chasing you, you, run that, that laterally. Run at 90 degree angles. That's not why I'm mad. I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm it, We'll get into it later. I want to say that yeah. uh, it, I kind of echo yeah. Bruce here on should you watch it. Uh, it, it I, I think it does depend on the audience, but I think the audience is different. If you, If what you care about when you see a film is visuals and you want a feast for the eyes, this movie is that feast. It is so well shot it's beautiful in a dark kind of way it's you know morbidly beautiful i guess like kind of like a graveyard can be beautiful um there's style everywhere there is if you want to see some of the best costumes um that you know in a in a in a film from the 80s this movie has them if you just need if you if you can live with the beat to beat nature of it i think as a as a as a film fanatic or a, and all film students should see it just straight up. There you go. Yeah. For the, for the technical stuff, go see it. However, if you're like me and you go to movies to be entertained or at least have thoughts provoked that are, that aren't thoughts of irritation and, and annoyance, maybe, maybe think about, I mean, you know, catch it, catch it, catch it on streaming. Don't, don't pay for it. Um, yeah. I don't regret my time that I spent with this. Like I regret my time that I spent with Snowpiercer. Um, so <laughs> it, it's a success in that form. Like I don't hate this movie. I, I just don't see why oh, it's so. Snowpiercer is this film's all like I guess. Just why is this film held up when Scanners isn't? I guess is really my my statement here. If we're talking about definitive '80s films, Scanners has to be up there, or or uh, They Live. Um, these are movies oh. that also have incredible cultural impact. Scanners less than they live and Blade Runner, obviously. But I'm trying to think why I would never put those two in the same box. <laughs> Not even close. Well, but I don't, I mean, I don't know that I can. Uh, well, I, I mean, Cronenberg and John Carpenter and Ridley Scott, they are all of they all had huge films around the same time. They all have very distinct styles. They all like to they all are have played yeah. in the dystopian cyberpunk genre so that's not a that's actually good comparisons when you even talk about like because you know scanners is definitely in the cyberpunk you know it's, it's diagram. diagram just as they live well, i love they live i mean it but it's also got again it's a very visual movie it doesn't make a ton of sense in a lot of ways um yeah but, but it's but, so why is but there's no serious attempt at a Christ allegory or illusion. Like I, this is just a different animal. I mean, it has a lot to look like those other animals. I see why you'd put it in the box there, but I would never have put it in that box. This well, is a completely different, like this is cinema, not a movie. 
Like that's I hate to say that because that makes me sound no, like you're absolutely who right. should be punched. But that 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 is like what I would say. I, I mean, this. the reason I put them in the same box is because they all kind of do. They all take elements. Blade Runner is sort of the, the the top of this pyramid, and then on the sides you have They Live, which again has visual style, uh, like incredibly interesting visual style, really well shot sequences. The fight in the in the alley is probably the best fight that's been on screen, at least of that era. Certainly, of uh, you know of that era. Um, then you've got Scanners, which has sort of the grimy oppressive atmosphere it's got the kind of cops everywhere thing it's kind of got the it's got the cyber cyber 80s neon yeah. aesthetic kind of going on along with some you know are these people really human yeah. kind of theme themes on top of it but it is much more of a i agree with you entertainment movie rather than a cinema analysis piece and that's why right. i put them in the same and box. That, that's the thing yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, everything you just said was 100% correct. It's just that this really, for whatever reason, and, I, and you know, obviously everyone's take and read is different, but for whatever reason, and I will say this is a popular take. People consider this a flawed masterpiece. Uh, people consider this, like, seminal in the history of film. Uh, yeah, it's on uh, it should, honestly, it should list. be, but it just, it is the definitive eighties science fiction, cyberpunk movie. And I, even I think that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, but it, it's just because it's yeah. trying to do something different. That's what I would just say. It's not trying to do what any of those other films you referenced were trying to do. Um, and, and what is it trying to do is hard for me to explain, except evoke. Like that was where I fall back on like art 101 yeah. I took in school, where the point is to be evocative in the viewer and not necessarily to do that by dint of narrative only. Although obviously novels are, are, are and, and film narrative itself is also mm -hmm. another way to evoke. But this thing is not leaning on that at all. All right. I think we've got a no, lot. No, seriously, of in and out, 20 minute review, guys. Uh, well, this isn't even a review. Uh, this is just a reaction piece. Like as a review, yeah. I did my little bit. Like, damn, this thing make no no fucking sense in the middle bit. Uh, but like, I don't want it to. I don't need it to. It's not for that. I mean, we've all played Shadowrun. Have we ever? We've all had that feeling anyway. <laughs> all right. Uh, I think I think you're right, Tom. I think we've said everything truth, we can though. say about it. Uh, but I do have some final thoughts. So if we're gonna do that, let me know. Yeah, yeah. Let's do our final thoughts real quick. Okay. Uh, well, uh, here, uh, what's your final uh, I've thought seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I've watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser Gate. All these moments will be lost in time, like tears in rain. Time for pie. Oh. <laughs> Bruce? <laughs> Egg beakers are the instant, the new instant pot. <laughs> So, I, I you know for me I like I said I own this movie I love this movie I I love also watching how many uh, product placements or enjoy Coca Cola how did they do that how did they get Atari in Atari this thing? Coca Cola it was 1982 they had a tie in <laughs> there was wasn't there oh man I kind of remember that yes. so you got to remember okay this movie was a flop because it came out the week after <laughs> ET. But then E.T. video game destroyed Atari. So Blade Runner's Revenge. Like Self-destruction. 
<laughs> so, but yes, uh, folks, this has been one of the, uh, yeah, this has been the good, the bad, and the nerdy movie podcast. This is, I'm going to put this in our category as nerdy. Because it is really, this is like the ultimate nerd. Cinema files are nerd. Right That's yes, nerdy. absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, folks, if you enjoyed this episode, please, please write us a review. Please go to our uh, Facebook group, fans, the Good Bad Nerdy Movie Podcast. Also, hit us up on Twitter, and please, just if you know anybody who has their own take on Blade Runner, please tell them to listen to us. Yeah, <laughs> we want to hear and let yeah. us know what your take is too, because. We all have different takes on this film, which I have to give credit is incredible because, you know, it's the movie that people want to talk about, what they want to dissect, they want to argue about. That is why Blade Runner is the, the movie that have, has spawned so many people to try so many different things. And it's just like I made the joke about Shadowrun, there's a whole board, there's a whole tabletop game basically because of this movie. There are video games. There are novel series. You know, William Gibson saw this movie, realized he uh, that he had almost had the same plotline in his head, and started making edits to Neuromancer before he finished it. This film is unique in and of itself. So please, guys, make sure if you haven't watched it, watch it. Uh, you know, watch it several times. Like Bruce and I would argue, the more you watch it, the more you find something different. Enjoy it. Enjoy your time. Because who knows, we all may be hitting our inception dates before we know it. Folks, thanks again for listening. Time to die. Hopefully they're not going to hang me for that hot, steaming hot take on this movie. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I legitimately think yours is probably the take 